Welcome to the official podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel Indy West. Our desire is to make authentic disciples of Christ who worship Him, walk with Him, and work for Him. You can find more information about Harvest by visiting our website at www.harvestindywest.org or by downloading our app from your app store. We pray today's podcast will encourage your pursuit of Jesus Christ. Hey, please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. Thank you, Nick and worship team and just leading us um, in the worship of the Lord. We are working our way through the Gospel of Matthew and uh, we're at about 15,000 foot has been kind of the way I've put it. We're at a bit of a high view walking through the book. Um, frankly, one of the reasons I'm doing that is because actually that is the way most people read their Bibles. I mean, you're usually grabbing a chapter, or a couple chapters at a time, and, uh, which is a good thing to do, and sometimes it's good to come down lower, but I think this is commonly the way people read their Bibles, and one of the things I want to do is to kind of come alongside you in that and even learn from that, hopefully, for you to learn in some way of reading through. And one of the things when you're reading larger chunks that you're able to see flow, you're able to see movement. Matthew is laying out an argument for who Jesus Christ is. And in that argument, we've seen him talking about how, uh, in chapter four, about how Jesus is a preaching. He's a preaching repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then we see chapters five through seven where he's teaching. He's interacting with the Sermon on the Mount to where he's teaching about all these, uh, what, would the, what the kingdom economy looks like, and it's altogether different than what we think about in normal life. And then after that, we come to these couple chapters where he's, uh, these series of these, uh, just one after another, healing events that take place. And I'm just going to be straight with you. I, I, one of the reasons I've held Matthew as one of the last gospels I, I've taught through is because I've never really loved the book of Matthew. Uh, in some ways for me, just as a normal, practical guy, part of what Matthew is, is Matthew has, he just like gives all these things, and I'm like, dude, would you just slow down for me? And like, can we stop and explain some more on what's happening there? But, but the thing about, I think what Matthew is doing, and now that I'm understanding him more, I, I'm liking this guy. I'm liking what he's doing. I think Matthew is pushing uh, uh, people off kilter. He, he is like giving him one after another after another. Jesus is teaching and boom, 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 boom. And then his healing, boom, 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 boom. And all this kind of movement. And it's kind of causing people to go, whoa, 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 whoa. What's happening here? And I think that's where he wants us to be at. Get to the place where it's like, oh my word, wait a second. Everything is so inside out and upside down from what I thought. And now, one of the questions that comes out of that is, so how do people respond to that? So far, it's been all about what Jesus has done. Now we come to two chapters, chapters 11 and 12, that are chapters that talk about how people respond. We've already been told that people are walking away awed and astonished, but we aren't told more than that. And let me make this comment with that. It's one thing to be awed and astonished by something. It's something different to actually have your life changed by it. 
Just being awed and astonished by something does not necessarily mean that it's going to change your life. You may be intrigued by it, you may be in wonder about it, but it doesn't mean that it goes any further than that. And so Jesus has been doing all these things and now we're at a point to where it's like, hey, I'm curious, how are people responding? And I think Matthew's like, you're right where I want you at. Now let me talk about how people respond. So today, we're chapter 11, uh, how people are responding. Next Sunday, uh, we're gonna be talking about as well, chapter 11, 12, how people are responding. Now in that, uh, I've titled the sermon for this Sunday and next Sunday, actually, what is it? You tell me. Irks, I like that word. It's kind of a unique word. Uh, irk, to, to, to be frustrated, to be irritated, to be annoyed. Uh, um, that's kind of particularly next Sunday. Uh, exasperated, to be vexed, to be confused. I actually think that idea of, with irk, to, to be vexed, to be confused, really applies to today. We're going to see John the Baptist ask a question. And, and he's, he's kind of irked in a vexed in a confused kind of manner about Jesus. And actually, the fact of that gives me a whole lot of hope. By the way, I want for you to know, it's okay to ask questions. In fact, it's a really good thing to ask questions. And I want for us to know here at this church, it's okay to ask questions. It's really okay to ask questions. Well, let's work the text. Let's, let's see what's going on. Just so you know, we're going to be main, most of our time is in the first six verses. We're going to just read through uh, the center section of the text just because of time today. And then I'm going to key in on the last part. Here's, it, here's my point. When you're irked, where do you go? When you're irked, where do you go? Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. Bring your irkedness to the Lord. Okay, Let, let's see what we're talking about. Let me read verses one through six, Matthew chapter 11. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, uh, Pastor Eric had talk, taught us through uh, chapter 10 a couple weeks ago. Uh, so after that, Jesus went from there to teach and to preach in their cities. So we have a movement in the flow of the text. Verse two, now... Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, by the way, it's really, it's kind of an odd way to read that, the deeds of the Christ. That's actually the way it is in the Greek. I think it's a wonderful way that Matthew is writing here. Matthew is telling us about a situation that happens that's asked, John is actually gonna question if Jesus is the Christ. There, I just gave it away. But John is already answering it before he even gets to the question. It's kind of cool. Uh, here we go. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, said to Jesus, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, don't ask me any questions. Your questions totally annoy me. In fact, you annoy me. Every time people ask questions, I can't stand it. You're all dumb. No. Look at it. He says, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. And the dead, they're raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended, who is not irked by me. Listen, do you realize what's happening here? John, John the Baptist, 
John the Baptist, where, by the way, where is he in the text? He's in prison. Prison is a place where John here is set aside. He's been pulled out. I would think that's a place where John could have some time to think, right? And so John is there in prison, and he is processing through what is going on, what is happening with Jesus. And while he is in prison, it text tells us he heard about the deeds of the Christ because obviously that makes sense. He couldn't be out. He wasn't free to go walk around and see. He heard about it, so people were telling him, this is what Jesus is doing. This is what Jesus is doing. This is what Jesus is doing. And so while John is there in jail, John is behind this question. John is going, is this Jesus really the Christ? Is he in fact the Messiah? I mean, think about that. This is John the Baptist is questioning whether Jesus is the Messiah. That gives me a lot of hope. Because John's like a big dude before God, correct? In fact, we're gonna see that here in the text. And John is wondering some things about Jesus. <laughs> Questions are okay. We, we kind of live in a society oftentimes as Christians where it's like, no, 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 don't ask that question. Why not? John is questioning. Do you have questions? It's okay. Let's look at a couple things here, I think, pulling out of this about John's questions, though. Uh, first, John is asking the right question, the right question. I mean, he, he basically sends his guys to ask Jesus this question, and the question is, are you the one? Or shall we look for another? Are you the one? That's the right question. That clearly has a whole bunch of thinking behind it. He's kind of in this, he's like, he's hearing the deeds that Jesus is doing, and in that, he's running that through his mind of what he understands from Old Testament scripture about the Messiah that's coming, and so he's processing those two, and he's kind of, as he's processing those two, as well as, might I say, even might maybe who John is, John is a beast of a man. He is like, in rough clothes, hairy dude, eating locusts out in the wild. He is a mountain man, and he's proclaiming, repent! And John, in this, I think from the Old Testament and in the culture of his day, all of these things combined together, I think what we are understanding here is John has this perception of who the Messiah is, and I think he is understanding the Messiah is supposed to be the guy that comes as kind of like John. Isn't that the way it always is? People should be like me. You know, we don't say that out loud, but we think that. You know, everyone should think like me, process like me, do things in the time that I would want to do it in the way that I would, because my way is always right. You too? Oh, come on. (laughs) Yeah, that's the way we are. And yet John, even with his culture, is coming and he's saying, wait a second, we have just been told by Matthew that Jesus is coming and he's preaching, he's teaching, and he's loving on people by healing them. And you have to look back at those and you go, where's the John-like dude that's coming to crush everyone and bring judgment and, and, and down and, and to step on the kingly throne and to take over the throne of the area and to bring all this? And John's seeing Mr. Rogers. And John's like, wait a second, you mean I've been doing all this and that's what comes? 
I love the fact, I think he's asking the right question, and he's asking it secondly in the right time. And what I mean by that is kind of what I've just been talking about. I think it's clearly understood in the text that John has been spending time processing this through. This was not the first thing that comes off of his head. We live in a, oh, social media. Social media has made everybody's opinion matter. And we are in a culture in a day, and it's going to be this way, to where uh, your opinion is the most important opinion because now I get to publicize it out for everyone to read, and my opinion should be understood, and if anybody pushes back on my opinion, that's the worst offense that could ever happen in our society. But here John has been processing this through and thinking this through. I don't think he's reactive. He's been taking time working this, and he's like, here's the question I need to know. I need to know, are you the one or are you not? And that's boiled down. There's a lot of thought behind that. He's asking it at the right time. Third, I think he's asking it with the right heart. You do not get the sense as you read this that that they're coming to him and they're going, are you the one who's to come or shall we look for another? I don't think that's the tone at all. I think what's going on here is, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And behind that is this idea of, listen, what you say, I will take to heart and I will hear and I will take you at your word. There's a right heart here. There's a learner's spirit here. I think it's John has enough admiration and respect and high view of Jesus, even in his questioning, that even in his questioning, he's willing to accept what Jesus has to say as the truth and submit to it. The right heart. Fourth, he brings his question to the right source. I mean, it doesn't get any better than bringing it to Jesus. (laughs) I mean, that is the source, but seriously, even for this question, that's the right source. I mean, who are you going to ask somebody about who this Jesus is better than Jesus? You know, sometimes, seriously, us Christians, we can be so carnal with how we ask questions. We ask everybody else, but we don't ask the source. Something can be going on in our family, or something can be going on with friends, or something can be going on at church, and, and, and we poll you know, and, and we, we, we do all this outsourcing of uninformed opinions. And, uh, and we come back with that. And, and sometimes that's fine, but sometimes we're just out of bounds with that. Like, here's an idea. Go to the source. There's a unique thought. It's not easy, but go to the source and ask. So the right question at the right time with the right heart taken to the right source. Again, I want to say this. Having questions is okay. And having questions about Jesus is okay. It's okay to ask questions. And we need to be people that are okay to receive questions and not be so quickly offended or irritated by them. People are at different places, different stages, trying to figure things out. And Jesus, we don't see Jesus irked by this. We don't see Jesus saying, how dare you ask this? We don't see Jesus saying, well, that's a dumb question. I also say this, we don't say Jesus saying yes. Isn't that interesting? I mean, John comes and John goes, hey, are you the one or is it someone else? A yes or a no would be nice. 
We just cut to the chase, make it. However, uh, what is Jesus doing here? I think this is a, re- a call to think. John is thinking, and he asks the question, and Jesus responds in such a way that is causing John to think more. Thinking is good. And so what does Jesus say to him? Not yes or no. He says, well, go tell John what you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. The poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended or tripped up or irked on account of me. Jesus is exhorting John to think. Friends, I think we've lost the art of thinking. We live in a busy, noisy world with our phones, with our TV, with the radio, other things, and I'm not out on any of those. But I'll just say this from my own life, and I'll add it in towards the end here. I have been so active and so busy. I don't purpose time to stop and think. And when you go back and you read some of the people who write in the 1800s, I am telling you, their thinking is stunning. Why? Because they had nothing to do but watch a fire at night and think, right? call to think. That was the case in Jesus' day. I think that was the call in Paul's day. Paul's day, in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says, don't, don't, don't be a I follow Apollos, I follow Paul. Listen, there's people we admire and there's people we appreciate, but at some point it gets out of control. We're to be thinking and following Christ. It's kind of the case today. It's, you know, I follow Freud or Darwin or Hawking or Snoop Dogg. I know that's outdated, but it's just a cool name. <laughs> it's just a cool name. Or here's another one. I'm a Methodist, I'm a Baptist, I'm a Catholic. What does that even mean? You imagine we stand before the Lord and he's saying, tell me, why should I let you into my heaven? Well, I'm a Baptist. I, well, but I'm a Catholic. Well, How about, like, what's going on here? Or I follow Platt or Keller or Bell or Chandler or Chan or MacArthur, whoever. I think chapter 11, after all of these things that's been going on, one after another after another, I think Matthew is orchestrating this in the literature to cause us to go, listen, Jesus wants us to be thinkers. Think. It's okay to ask questions. I want to illustrate this by something I really don't want to have to talk about, but I think it's important and I think it's the right time. There's a rightly asked question just with what's been going on in some of the particularly media and um, things that... uh, up with Harvest in Chicago, and I think the rightful question is, what's going on with a recent series of very troubling information 
and events related to Pastor James McDonald and Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago? I think it's a good question. Simply summarized, if you're not aware of what's happening, the elders of Harvest in Chicago this week on Wednesday terminated Pastor James as their senior pastor, and it was the right thing to do. Let me give you a little background. Almost 11 years ago, this church was the 25th church plant of Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. And since day one, we've been a autonomous, which means a self-governed local church. We've never been under Harvest Authority. We've never received funding from them. It's always been a ministry relationship of friendship, of influence. It's always been that. It's not an oversight relationship in any way. And by the way, that's the same reality for the, by God's grace, the two churches we've planted so far in Haiti and St. Vincent Island. Pastor Nestle and Pastor Miche that are there. Uh, they are self-governed, autonomous local churches there. Now there we do provide ongoing finances to them because it's Haiti and St. Vincent Island. And the, 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 the economic realities there are, are in the need of that kind of support. But it's not oversight over, it's not control over. They are their own local autonomous churches. And it is a, a relationship of influence. Misha and I Skype together just about every other week. I know Pastor Nate uh, interacts with Nestle weekly. And, uh, but it's by relationship and influence, not by oversight. And I'll just say this, I'm super grateful for our founding history. The things that we learned and the things we've been privileged to experience as a result of the influence of Harvest Chicago has just been really important and really helpful. But three and a half years ago, I personally became very uncomfortable and very concerned about a number of things I was seeing with Pastor James and with Harvest in Chicago. That led to two years and a month ago, so two years ago from last month, as a result of a direct encounter I had with Pastor James and along with about 10 other Harvest pastors at the time, I walked away from that saying, it's time for me to step away from all involvement. Things were not right. A year and a half ago, Harvest Chicago disbanded the Harvest Bible Fellowship with what was there and that uh, relationship was ended. My wife Karen said at the time, Doug, I think God is protecting us from some things to come. And he was right. She was right. And I'll just say this, that uh, I know enough that I'll just use the words, the abuses and misuses reported in the media, as far as I know, are true. And I could personally add more to them but I won't. I am grateful for our history. Misuses and abuses like this, we want to have nothing to do with. As elders, as pastors, and I know you as a church family. Listen, friends, we understand character matters, am I right? Integrity matters. And by the way, biblical qualifications matter. Well, I'm super saddened and disturbed. 
of the things that have taken place, may it remind us of the high calling. This is no game. This is no person's kingdom. And I'm just gonna say it here. If I ever get to be a jerk, or mouthing, or abusive, kick my can out of here. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm serious. And amen to that, thank you. Because this is not my thing, you know, I'm the founding senior pastor, so what? So stinking what? This is Christ's church and his alone, amen? And it must always be that way, always. I think there's a couple other questions that can be asked out of this. As a local autonomous church, does this have impact on us? Well, frankly, in most ways, no. We haven't been in any kind of relationship for years now, plus we've always been a self-governed local autonomous church anyway. As a church with the same name and as part of the Christ Universal Church, will it have impact? Yeah. Sad for the name of Christ and his church for sure. I'm even gonna tell you right now, right now, on the West Coast, on the East Coast, and all along the Southern part of the country, there are things going on that are serious issues and leadership failure. And it is never good for the name of Christ. May we be serious about what we're doing and who we are. Will we change our name as a result? Maybe. Maybe. We haven't really even had that conversation yet. Should I be concerned about, you concerned about similar leadership problems going on? There's even online, some will say, you know, all Harvest churches are all the same. Oh, I pray not. And I can tell you from what I know that's happened over the years, there have been a number of men who have been interacting and getting um, hit hard over this for trying to do what's right. And I don't mean to pat myself on the back, but I've been one of them and there are others in this room who have too. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay. Questions are important. Questions can help us even grow in the call to who we are and understand what's going on. Hans, would you pray for us? Hans, one of our elders, would you just pray for us for saying, help me get my head back in the game to the text? Dear God, we are just so thankful for the fact that you are a sovereign gracious, loving God that is in control of every aspect. We are mindful that um, as you prepare your bride, that we have the honor and privilege of participating in whatever work you seem necessary for us to accomplish, to, to partner. I just pray that uh, you would continue to give us wisdom that we would continue to ask for it. I just pray that, um, as Doug has already said today, that 
we would be wise, follow the, the leading of your spirit, that when we do have questions, we do have concerns, that it is in all humility that we do so coming before you, going to the source of, of everything, which is you, dear God. Not be swayed or, or confused by outside sources, but go to your scripture, the leading of your spirit, uh, the triune Godhead, I just pray that we would continually only seek our answers, our direction from you there. Thank you for staff and pastors of this church who work so diligently to lead and instruct. We're so thankful for the gifts that you have given them to uh, come before us on a weekly and daily basis to instruct, encourage, edify us, mature us. And I just pray that all of us would have the humility, the obedience, uh, to bow before you and continually seek your face as we try to grow and mature in your likeness and grow this church body on the west side of Indianapolis, I pray. All to your glory and honor, I pray. Amen. So where do we take life when it's wearisome and burdensome, whether it's like John or whether it's like this whole situation, because frankly for me this has just been wearisome and burdensome beyond belief. Where do we take that? Let's read the text and find out where, all right? Verse seven. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. In other words, what's about to be said is built off of the whole conversation that was taking place with John. Don't let it end there. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? Reed shaken by the wind? And then did you go out, uh, what then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Uh, yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. By the way, remember Jesus just told John's disciples, hey, go back, tell them what you see and hear and process it. And now Jesus is even causing people to do the same thing. Hey, hey, I want for you to think about some things here. Verse 10, uh, this is he of whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Verse 11, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has risen no one greater than John the Baptist. By the way, that's not saying like John was the most holy man outside of Christ than anybody. It's not saying that. You gotta understand, in the time of redemptive history, John is in a unique place. Not only is John like a stud dude for God, but John is in a unique time for God. He is the one that has been prophesied, would be the one who would be telling that the Messiah is coming. No one else did that. John is unique unique unlike anyone else and and that plays into this yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he what does that mean uniqueness of time and redemptive history makes a difference in other words we now we have do you realize we have more knowledge and information available to us in god's word than john had we have more at our fingertips and before our eyes to hear in our ears, to take into our heart than John or any of the Old Testament prophets had. And that is a blessing, 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 blessing. What is it? Blessing. A blessing. And that is something special. Uh, verse 12, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and violent take it by force. I don't have time for that today. Uh, for all the prophets and the laws law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. 
Uh, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Uh, But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in a marketplace calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. And you may be going, what in the world is going on here? Let me just sum it up. That statement right there, uh, they play the flute like a wedding, and then the dirge is like a funeral. It's, this, it's, it's kind of Jesus is building all this. This is why I'm flying through it so fast. Jesus is kind of building this case. He's saying, listen, we came pronouncing like a dirge, like a funeral. Who might that be? Like John the Baptist. John the Baptist came like, repent! <laughs> You're all going to die! I mean, kind of that type of funeral tone. When Jesus comes, Jesus doesn't come in that tone. Jesus kind of comes playing more like the flute, like, like it's, come, let's eat. It's a wedding feast. And whether you hear it by a dirge or whether you hear it by like a wedding feast, what we're going to find out is still people are like not listening or caring. If I can, this may be too much of a jump, but I'm going to try. The whole idea today in church and gimmickry, just, it's getting old. It's just getting old. You know, if we have that style, that movement, that kind of thing, that will draw people. This is kind of one of those texts where it's like kind of saying, listen, you play the flute, you play the funeral, um, that's not the issue. I just say this, how about this? How about more of worship the Lord, his word in our lives? How about that technique? Okay. I think yes. Verse 18, I didn't set you up well for that. It's my bad. Verse 18, for John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Actions show what was, that wisdom is really there. Verse 20, and then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes, but I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day, but I tell you that it will be more tolerable in the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. So this question um, here leads to a rebuke to repent. And the fact of the matter is, is in all of it, no one's repenting, or most aren't. And in fact, where Jesus is doing the most amount of his miracles and his teachings, people aren't responding. Isn't that interesting? You would think that the places where he's been the most would be the places where that would be the greatest response, but it's not. Verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise Hmm. and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him Let me kind of term it this way. John's irked from the standpoint of he's confused. 
the people are irked at Jesus because they just aren't interested. This is a text that might irk you. In other words, you look at it and you see what it's saying? The Father has hidden things from the wise and understanding, and he has revealed them to little children. Boy, that's irritating, and how can that be? That doesn't seem fair or right. We're now in the free will versus predestination uh, whole debate of it all. And is he going to go there? No, I'm not going to go there, but I am going to say this. Jesus rejoices over what the theology is. Jesus is rejoicing over the fact that the Father in this, and I think what's saying is is that the, the, the truth of the gospel is not only available to the wise and to the knowledgeable, Back in that day, the rich and and the educated got everything and the poor got squat. That's Greek for not much, okay? And in it, it's a type of thing to where what Jesus, part of what Jesus is saying is, listen, even the poor have access to the full thing. There is no you get portion, you don't get portion. All are available to it, but at the same time, you cannot get around this whole idea that the Bible talks about the father chooses, the son chooses, that there is an election reality, Ephesians chapter one, or uh, yeah, Ephesians chapter one, then Ephesians chapter two, it tells us you are, sin, you are lost in your sin upon sins. You are dead in your sins. Listen, dead people can't bring themselves alive, spiritually. And so someone has to come and uh, uh, bring dead people to life. So it's election, Doug, that's what you're saying. Yes, it is, but also the scripture says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And I will say this to you, if you have not received Jesus Christ as your savior, let's talk. Let's talk. Because you need to receive Jesus. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. So wait a second, Doug, so now you're saying it's free will. Yes. So, Doug, now you're really irking me. Because the debate is you can only be one. And I push back and I say, no, Scripture says it's both. And I will submit to that. You know, and if Jesus is good with that, I think we should. And if Jesus actually has that whole uh, truth of that whole thing going on, and he praises the Father for it, maybe we should. Thank you, God, that you choose. And I get out of that whole conversation, I get to the end, and I still can't put it all together. I can't. And by the way, having mystery in it all is a good thing. Because when we know it all, how about this? How about there are things we don't know that only God does? And that's actually what makes him God. Okay? Maybe you're still irked. So what do all these irked people do? Let's finish. Verse 28. Jesus says, get away from me, you annoying irked people. Verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your what? Not, not, just, not just your physical makeup, 
not even just your mental capacity. I'm talking the whole deal. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me. Um, confession. I have been so active in recent years that I have not had t- taken times to stop. As one author says, are you taking time to stop and let your soul catch up with your activity? Over this last year, I've been pressed in by the Lord learning, and we've even been learning as a church family about what it means to abide. And frankly, what my life has been lived like over the last few years is active, 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 and I know God abides with me. And by the way, I'm kind of doing this in a way that I'm showing you that, do you see, it's kind of like I'm out in front and God is always there abiding. Instead, I have not been taking rhythm times of life just to stop. Because when he says, come to me, he doesn't say, while you are going, I will. There is a truth to that in abiding, but this text, and like Isaiah 55, when he talks about the same idea of it for our sabbatical, what I'm learning out of this is, no, there is a thing in it where God says, stop, and I think personally it would be, Doug, would you just stop? And Would you just like sit down? And would you just like get away from your role as a senior pastor, preaching pastor? Would you just get away from, would you, how about this? Martha, 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 sit your can down with me. And I haven't been doing that. I haven't been taking times to stop and let my soul rest in him. And as I've been around people long enough, I think my story is probably pretty close to your story. Maybe not. But this whole resting idea, and by the way, it even means when I don't understand things like John. I think the Lord is just saying, would you just take the things that are really frustrating you and irking you and you are not understanding about me, and would you just sit down and just bring it before me and let's talk. And in that, he will bring rest to our souls, even the rest to the questions that irk us. I'm sorry for not having been a good example of that to you as a church. But I'm in the process of making concerted changes to that. Busy, busy, busy does not mean more godly. So where do irked people go? They go to the Lord. Ask questions. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Father, thank you for being such a kind, loving God. Father, in this time of redemptive history, 
Your long-suffering patience is stunning. Your patience with me, your patience with us, your patience with this whole world. God, I thank you that you allow us to wrestle through things. You allow us even to have questions. Father, I, I pray that we would be a people that is asking questions, not asking questions to annoy you or not asking questions to irk you, but asking the kinds of questions that are real questions that are wrestling around in our hearts. I pray that we would be people who take our questions to your truth and work it out, wrestle it out. And Father, I pray in the noise of life and the noise of our own heads that you would be rest for our souls. And that you would be awesome and marvelous, not just in theory, not just in observation, but in our lives. Father, I pray that we would stay on the main thing, you. May we press into you, lean into you, run towards you, abide in you, hold on to you. Because every one of us are broken and every one of us have the capacity to make really foolish choices in life. And it is only by your grace that we don't go there. Would you hold us? Tightly, I pray. In Christ's name.